You're listening to a sermon on the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Stick around after the message for more information about Mission Ridge. Thanks for tuning in. Well, good morning, Mission Ridge. It's uh, good to uh, join you this morning uh, just to worship the Lord together. I really enjoyed that worship set and uh, the prayer time and uh, and really uh, loved uh, Jennifer's story. Uh, That's forever her name in my mind, but um, such a a great bridge story between last week's sermon and this week's sermon, honestly. And so um, I knew a little bit about that story. I heard more of that story this week, uh, like you have, and uh, I'm really proud of Jennifer and really grateful that uh, Shandea and Haley are part of our community and just the opportunity for me to get to know them through Jennifer. Uh, that's pretty cool. So love that story. Grateful that uh, Jen shared that with us. We are in our second week of our series, The Partner God Pursues. And, and the question that we're wrestling with, and I think all of us wrestle with this at some point, is am I the kind of person that God can partner with? Am I the kind of person that God can use? There's a number of reasons why why we wrestle with that. Uh, For my friend Pat, going back a dozen years ago, uh, his was his past. His reason was his past. Uh, Pat was was a recovering addict, and he was trying to figure out how to be clean. And he was, he was going to church. He's going to celebrate recovery, brand new in the faith. And he shows up to church. He's wearing jeans. He's wearing a t-shirt, um, not, not a printed t-shirt, like a white t-shirt, like I would see Pat wear so many times. And he walks into the sanctuary and someone asks him, Hey, will you help serve communion today? I, I would love to be a fly in the wall to see Pat's expression on his face. Um, I'm getting notification. That's so, so much fun. <laughs> I like to be a fly on the wall to see expression on my face right now. That's, <laughs> but, uh, but Pat, Pat wasn't concerned that he didn't know enough. Pat wasn't concerned that he wasn't dressed up enough. He was concerned that everyone would see him and know and know what kind of a dirty, rotten sinner he was. I mean, that's, I think, uh, how he wrestled with that at that time. But Pat took that step, that next step that God was calling him to, and it has forever changed his life. I think of the apostle Peter. He, He followed Christ for three years, and then he denies him three times. And even after Christ is resurrected, he goes home and goes fishing. He goes back to the family business. Like, I believe that Peter absolutely believed that his mistakes would forever uh, withhold him from being able to be used by God again. And yet Christ restores him. And in a video that we just saw, Jennifer, it was her circumstances. I mean, she thought she had to be married and have kids and have all this experience, life experience to go with this desire. 
And yet, God had other plans. And so, my question for you is, what drives this question for you? When you say, uh, am I the kind of person God can partner with? What, what drives that question for you? Think about that today. For Abram, I believe it was circumstances. And I think we're going to see that through much of his story. In fact, I think that that lingering question for us and the reason why that we have that lingering question is driven by a common theme in our lives. And we'll talk about that in footnotes. But for Abram, I mean, he's 75. When, when the Lord comes to him and says, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make you a great nation. But he, he's 75, his wife is 65 and she's barren. Like that seems like strike one, strike two. Yeah, strike three. I mean, <laughs> Abram's got to be going, I know you're good and all, God, but really? Well, that was Genesis 12. That was last week's story. We're told in Genesis 13, the beginning of Genesis 13, that when Abram went up from Egypt with his wife and all that he had, and, and even his nephew, Lot, um, that they moved to the Negev, which is the southern region of Israel. So if you look at Israel, this long, skinny nation at the very bottom of the map is the Negev. And, and Abram became very rich in Egypt and, and came with livestock and silver and gold and remember where the source of his wealth was. It was, it was Pharaoh, right? And so he journeyed as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had, uh, where he struck his tent the first time, where he had first built an altar. And we're told that Abram calls upon the name of the Lord. And I find this fascinating because we don't see him do that in Egypt. It's like he goes into Egypt and he's like, I don't think God's with us because he didn't tell us to go here. So I guess we're going to have to figure this out on our own. But when Abram comes out of Egypt, he calls upon the Lord. And, and I believe that that altar served as a reminder to Abram of his relationship with God. And I, I feel like when we come back to church, when we start going back to care group, when we get back into those patterns that we used to have, it reminds us, it calls us back to the things that God has for us. And I think it's so healthy to go back to those places. And Abram wasn't the only one who prospered in Egypt. Lot did too. We're told that he comes with uh, flocks and herds and tents and and that the land could not support the both of them. The land could no longer support the two of them dwelling because, well, the herdsmen of Abram, the herdsmen of Lot are fighting. And maybe, maybe this picture of two brothers out in the field having a conflict, maybe that's a callback to another story 
And what came out as a result of that story? Why were those the results of that story? And what will come out of the, as a result of this story? And why? Is, it, is an interesting comparison. So let's pick up in Genesis 13, verses 8 through 13. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. The Hebrew word there is ach, or brother. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I'll go to the right. If you take the right, then I'll go to the left. Now this, this is a pivotal moment for Abram. I mean, first of all, Abram shows such humility in, in this. In that culture, the nephew was required to, to serve the uncle. The younger was required to serve the older. Yet Jesus says, if you want to be first, you shall be last. And I think in this story, we see Abram live that out. And then he's generous. He's like, you pick the place where you're going to live. You have first choice. And in fact, I think we could even compare this to the story where Jesus says, hey, if you're going to be generous to a poor person, don't let the left hand know what the right hand is doing. Right? Maybe what Jesus is saying is, if Abram doesn't pay attention to the left or to the right when dealing with a rich man, how much more should we apply that when we deal with a poor man? So Abram is being generous. I, I think of the story that I read as a kid. Uh, there was a series that I used to read, uh, read it a few times. And the king settles a dispute between two lords. They're, they're, they're fighting over who owns the land. And, and the king says, what we're going to do is we'll split the land. We'll split the land between you and between you. And this is how he did. He says, you, you divide the land. You divide it east and west, north and south. I don't care. You divide it. And you, you pick which of the two parts you want to take. I mean, this guy could have, over here, he could have said, well, I'm going to split it 60-40 or 70-30. Whatever he chooses, is he going to work to his betterment or his detriment, depending on which one this guy over here picks. But Abram says to Lot, you choose. You choose both sides. And so Lot lifted his eyes and saw the Jordan Valley was well watered and everything was like the garden of the Lord. That's an interesting saying there, isn't it? A callback. Like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley 
and they journeyed east. Remember Logan talking last week that journeying east is this picture of is moving further away from what God's calling you to. Yet this is the direction that Lot chooses to go. And Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while the Lord while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. Now there's some interesting comparisons to these two stories. I want to I want to draw your attention to them. First of all, there's a in uh, in in the chapter 12. Let me back up. Let me say this again. Uh, there's some interesting comparisons between chapter 12 and chapter 13, last week's story and this week's story. And there seems to be this thread that connects these stories in, in, in a few places, just so the author can say, you need to understand this story in order, in order to understand this story. So in chapter 12, a wife is called a sister. In chapter 13, a nephew is called a brother. And then in 12, we see that there's Canaanites in the land. Well, okay, they're in the land in Canaan. Like, why wouldn't they be in the land? This, this mention doesn't make sense. It doesn't help the story in any way. And yet in chapter 13, we're told that the uh, Canaanites and the Perizzites are in the land. Again, whip-de-doo. It doesn't help the story except for the fact that it connects these two stories. And then in 12, we start out at the altar uh, of the Oaks of Mora. And we end at the altar of the Oaks of Mamre. And so we have these connective tissue between these two stories that maybe, just maybe, we see Abram growing in his ability to trust the Lord. That you wouldn't necessarily see that if you weren't comparing these two stories and Abram's response. Well, let's continue with 13. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot, or Lot, uh, had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. Lot looked and went. Abram waits until the Lord tells him where to look. That's different. He goes on to say, I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also, also can be counted. Also walk through the length and the breadth of the land for I will give it to you. And so Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. Now God tells Abram to arise. And then Abram moves his tent. Maybe we could think of another character from a recent conversation that was told to arise three times. And yet three times chose to go down. May think about Jonah. If you want to look at our Jonah series, if you want to catch up on that, 
interesting conversation. Maybe, maybe the author of Jonah is connecting that story to Abram's story here. In these two chapters, we see Abram go full circle. And let's bring up this graphic that uh, was so beautifully drawn by my friend and partner, Logan Daly. That, that is a roughly right circle right there. <laughs> he hates that circle. Uh, but um, Abram starts by building an altar at the Oaks of Moray. And the Oaks Moray is some, some dude's name that has long past lived. Uh, and then he goes to Egypt, ready to con the natives out of some money, right? Problem is, he has this great big uh-oh moment with Pharaoh because the one guy he can't con takes his wife. And if God doesn't show up, this is a mess. It, it's, <laughs> it is a mess. It would stay a mess and maybe get worse than a mess if God doesn't show up. And yet God does. And so God steps in and Abram takes notice. And so that's the bottom, the top right hand side of this graph here. In the next scene, Abram moves out of Egypt. He brings all these riches. Lot brings all these riches from Egypt. And sometimes it's easier to get out of Egypt than to get Egypt out of you. Sometimes it's easier to, to uh, get out of our mistakes than to get our mistakes out of us. And sometimes there's a ripple effect of the choices that we make and they just seem to linger with us. But we see this strife between Abram's herdsmen and Lot's herdsmen. But Abram remembers how God took care of him in Egypt and waits. And so out of that relationship that Abram has with his with his God, out of this growing relationship, we see his commitment to fight for family and not in family. And we see his sacrificial generosity. And then we also see God in this story come back to Abram a second time with, with a, a, a repeating of the promises but this time it's, it's fuller. It's, it's, it has more depth. For me, it's like uh, watching a Bob Ross video where he's, he's making a painting, right? He's got these long lines and you assume they're gonna be trees because you've watched the videos before, but eh, you're still interested because it's memorizing, mesmerizing. And, uh, and, and yet you, you have to, go get some coffee. So you walk out of the room and you walk back in and now these long lines, they have leaves connected to them and there's, there's something flowing in the background. It's looking more and more like a river and there's a shack over here on the left. The picture is just fuller. And over and over and over again, God's gonna share this vision with Abram and it's gonna get fuller. And, and we're gonna talk about this in footnotes because I think this is an important thing uh, we talked about uh, these spiritual markers in our lives. And this is a picture 
uh, spiritual markers. And so we'll talk about that in footnotes, but uh, pay attention to this pattern. Well, we see these two characteristics of Abram coming out. He fights for family, not in family. And then there's this sacrificial generosity part of Abram. And we're going to see these reappear in Genesis 14. Because we're told that sometime later, war breaks out in the valley that Lot chose to live in. And Lot and all that he has is swept away by some bandits. When Abram hears about his nephew, he gathers his 318 men, the men that were born in his household. Scripture is very clear about that. And he goes with three allies, Mamre, Eskel, and Aner. And they chased after the bandits. They start out in southern Israel and they go past Dan in northern Israel and into Damascus. This is a 500-mile round trip. Important to note that. They de- they've defeated the bandits and brought Lot back and all the people of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their possessions. And so we'll pick up in Genesis 4, 17. The king, the king of Sodom went out to meet him, Abram, at the valley of Shaveh. That is the king's valley. Now, if you're wondering where that's at, it's a modern day Jerusalem. Might be something significant about that. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Huh. Might be something significant about that. We'll talk about some of this in footnotes. He was priest of God most high. And he blessed him and said, blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave a tenth of everything. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I've made Abram rich. Like maybe another king down in Egypt. I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me let Aner, Eskel, and Mamre take their share. Now we'll come to, back to that sentence in just a minute. But I want you to notice Abram's humility. He knows who his deliverer was. He gives credit to God Most High when he responds to the king of Sodom. In fact, it it drives his decision on what he would or would not do and how he would act towards this king. Abram was reminded of this when he brings the high priest a tenth of everything. And I ask you to wrestle with that a little bit because there is no law written down at this point that, that we know of. This is 
hundreds of years before Moses wrote down Torah for us. And yet he gives him 10%. And, and Jacob, his grandson, understands that it's 10% as well. Look at Genesis 28, 22. He says, this stone, which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And all that you give me, I will give a full 10th to you. So both Abram and Jacob had this conviction, this conviction that everything came to them from God, through God. Do you hold this conviction? And does this conviction drive the way you engage with the world around you? Not just, not just in the way you engage your God, not just in your generosity that runs this way, but your generosity that runs this way because we see it play out in Abram's life. He says, I'm not taking your stuff, king. I made a promise. I'm not taking your stuff. I know who provides for me. I know who my source is. Well, let's come back to this sentence that Aner, Eskel, and Mamre take their share. We are not told why, but apparently Abram needed some help. Abram had 318 men from his own household, but then he had these allies. Embracing sacrificial generosity includes... It includes allowing others to be generous towards you. I, I, I love one of the things that, that's come out of this COVID-19 is that some of you that have typically be, been the stalwarts, the ones that have made sure that church service has taken place, you made it possible for the young people to come in to a church service and, and have a safe place to learn about God. You made that possible for them for a long season. And now they're the ones making it possible for you. That is fantastic. That's the body of Christ loving on each other, working with each other. That's embracing sacrificial generosity. And I don't even know these guys knew who Lot was. I mean, they didn't go because of Lot. They went to the end of the earth with Abram because of their relationship with Abram. And that, my friends, is a real friend. Someone that will go with you and serve someone that they don't know because you're serving them, because you think it's valuable. And I think that's pretty cool. Well, a couple implications for this week's message the partner God pursues fights for family, not in family. Fighting for family looks like giving preference to others. It looks like inviting those in who don't have a family or providing a safe family to someone who maybe doesn't have a safe family, like in Jen's story. It looks like inviting someone who does not have a church family into our church family. 
fighting for family, not in family, looks like resolving conflict quickly. It looks like each of us looking for the log in our own eye. It looks like saying 10 positive things to every one negative thing that, that maybe needs to be said. But there's this history of saying a lot of positive things to that one negative thing. And the second implication is the partner God pursues is sacrificially generous. Now, the first thing I want to say is that these two implications are connected. You cannot disconnect them. You can't be generous to God and not to your family. You can't be generous to your family and not to God. These are, these are connected. In fact, Jesus talks about this in Mark chapter seven. He says, you set aside the commandments of God when you allow people to give to the temple while excusing them for caring for their parents. We'll talk more about this in footnotes, but we cannot be generous to God while neglecting family. That's just, just putting on a show. And we're not going to put on a show as a church. It has to be balanced. These two are connected. And I love that they're connected in this particular story. We should be connect. We should be generous to God, to our family, to our church family, to our community. Like that should, it should be everywhere we go. And, and, and if we f- see that we struggle with generosity in one of these areas, then we got to go, Lord, how am I not trusting you? How am I looking like Abram ahead in Egypt coming up with a con, a way to con people out of money? How, how am I looking like that in some way, shape or form? What's going on inside of me? And so we have a couple, couple implications. We got a few call to actions, just the, how do we live this out? How do we grow in this? Uh, and the first thing we need to do is, is call upon God. That's what we see Abram do. He calls upon God. This is where we gain balance, which looks like taking time to pray every day. It looks like reading your Bible, our life transforming groups. We, in our life transforming groups, we read three chapters every day for seven days. And then we come together and talk about those three chapters that we read seven times over. Just to go, what did you see? This is what I saw. Does this make sense to you? I'm struggling. Like to wrestle with that, with other people. But take time to read your Bible. Create a worship list. Create a worship list on your phone and, and, and engage in it regularly. Listen to it while you drive. Listen to it at breakfast time. Find a time to engage so you could call upon the Lord where you're, where you're building a name for God and not yourself. Maybe it looks like joining a care group for you or a life transforming group. Our care groups, they meet weekly to talk about the conversation we had here in this service on Sundays. The curriculum goes with this conversation so that in a group of eight to 10 people, you could wrestle through what does this 
mean for us? And then our life transforming groups, they're groups of three guys or three gals looking at those three chapters that they looked at for a week and talking through that. These are relational discipleship environments that help you to call upon God. Secondly, pursue humility. Build altars to God, not towers for your name. Abram over and over and over again is building altars to God. At work or at home or within your community, what are you known for? Are you known for exalting your name? Or are you known for exalting God's name? Get on your knees and pray for those you're in conflict with. I find that all the pride in me is just drained out when I get on my knees and start praying. I don't know why. I've had to do it so many times. When you're in conflict with somebody, get on your knees. Pray for them from there. I bet it changes your circumstances. Uh, your worship list on your phone, that, that act of worship the act of bowing before God in, in the heart leads to humility. Practice putting people first. Firstborns. I know there's a number of us in this room. Let the lastborns have first place. You're used to having the best seat. Give it up. I'm speaking to myself. Uh, Let the guy that beat you at the intersection, let him go first and smile about it and wave to him. Fingers full extended, palms forward. Wave this way, not any other way. Go find the meaning of this. A friendly wave, as as it were. So let's pursue humility. And then family needs to become the safest place. I mean, our family in our home and our church family. These two places need to be the safest place. And honest being honest, they're not always, not always that way. It's our job to make it that way. So fighting for family, um, Fighting for family and not within family means resolving conflict. Matthew 18 gives us a great, a great template for that. If you need help with that, talk to me, talk to Logan. We will journey with you in this because it's so important. In our care groups, we need to resolve conflict. Within our marriages, with, with our siblings, we need to resolve conflict. Seek counselors. I seek counselors. Logan seeks counselors. Within marriage, I've sought counselors too many times to count. It's healthy stuff. It's, it helps you to grow and mature emotionally. Actively pursue your emotional growth. Pursue your own emotional growth. Are you the same person emotionally this year as you were last year? 
or 10 years ago or four presidents ago? Like, (laughs) do you still need to grow up emotionally? We were talking about this week in the office. There have been times as parents, for those of us who are parents of things other than betas, uh, no, a couple of those parents were talking and we're like, it's embarrassing when our kids act more maturely than we do over a certain topic. Whew, that's hard. It's hard to own up to. It's important to own up to it. There's a great book. Uh, it's called The Emotionally Healthy Leader. Pick that book up and, and, and as a couple wrestle through, what does it mean to grow emotionally. And again, Logan, I would love to journey with you in that. Well, just to finish up, calling upon God, growing in humility and doing your part to make family the safest place or building blocks to being sacrificially generous and for fighting for family and not in family. And so I hope you'll take some steps this week to identify the log in your own eye, the fear in your own heart, the place that needs to grow and mature. Maybe you'll take practical steps towards giving other people first place, living like we see Abram living in this story, being generous in ways that no one expects. Will you, will you pray with me? Father, I'm grateful that you choose to journey with us. That, and going back to last week, we're roughly right. We don't have it all figured out, but you journey with us so that we can grow and mature and learn how to be humble, learn how to exalt your name and not our own name. And then be generous in everything that we do and say. That's the kind of people that we want to become here in Missoula, Lord. Those are the core values that we are trying to live out. And so as we wrestle through this this week as care groups, as we dwell on this today and tomorrow and the next day, as we process what you're calling us to, those next steps that you will lead us to, I pray that we'd have the courage to live this out well. We love you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and share if you enjoyed this message. Mission Ridge is a new church in Missoula, Montana. If you're in the Missoula area, we would love to have you join us for worship on a Sunday. For more information about Mission Ridge, connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, or online at missionridge.church. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can give securely online at missionridge.church forward slash give. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you have a blessed week. We'll catch you on the flip side.